baseball fans, welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I am recording this on the second day of May 2018 from the luxurious Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, let's take care of a couple of, uh, oh, I don't know, the house cleaning things. Um, first of all, I'm sorry, I've been... I wanted to get a, a podcast up yesterday on the first day of May, but there was just other things happening in my life, and quite frankly, uh, I couldn't sit down and do a podcast, and I didn't want to half-ass it, so uh, here I am on the second. I am going to talk a little bit about some of my thoughts of the first month of the season. I want to give thanks to Len and Jeff, the hosts of Baseball and Barbecue Podcast. They had me on. Uh, it's available on Apple Podcasts. I had a fun conversation. We talked about ties and we talked about pace of play. Uh, there was a little bit of static and a couple sound issues with our interview. But if you get through that, if you say, okay, I'm going to make it through the static and everything, it's a really fun time. And uh, Len and Jeff, uh, Baseball and Barbecue is a really fun podcast, and I was happy to be a part of that. So uh, go check that out on Apple Podcasts. So here we are. It's May. We're one day into May, and already it's a different feeling month for the Red Sox because, man, they lost a stupid game yesterday. Anytime you have Chris Sale going up against one of the worst teams in baseball and you give Craig Kimbrell the lead and you have a bunch of jabronis come out of the bullpen for Kansas City and you... Wind up scoring, was it, three runs in extra innings at home and you still can't win? That's a stupid loss. Also stupid loss for the Houston Astros. Had, what, a 14-strikeout game from Justin Verlander. And the Yankees starting pitcher is out after the first inning. So they have to go into their, you know, their middle relief in the second inning. And it's no score. They can't get this. The vaunted Astros can't get one damn run. And then Giles comes out. He lets up the home run. And I, I, I feel for Giles. I do. Because, yeah, he's got a World Series ring. And he's part of this great Astros team. But he didn't pitch that well in last year's playoffs. And he lost his job. He was the closer. And he lost the closer job in the middle of the postseason. So to, to the Houston Astros' great credit. That they didn't pull the, hey, he's the horse who got us here. We got to go with him. No, they said, F this. And McCullers and Peacock and Morton, all these other people came in and pitched late innings. And they wound up being the one dancing and dancing uh, with the, you know, winning the World Series. And Giles came in and his job is to get one inning. Hand the game over to the bottom of the ninth where one run would win the game, and he lets up the three-run homer to Sanchez. Astros wound up losing the game 4 nothing. When he's taken out of the game, the dude punched himself in the face. He did. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make fun of that. I'm not. Because everyone has bad days. Everyone has days where you feel like you want to melt down, like things aren't going your way, and no matter how hard you're trying, you can't turn it around. I don't know Ken Giles. I saw him being very ineffective in the postseason last year, and even this year, he's had some good stats, but there's this hovering over him that he is no longer the go-to guy you hand the ball to, and here he was, high-profile game, 
chance to win the series against the Yankees and go for the sweep. Beautiful performance by Verlander. And he, and he crapped the bed. And I, there's no part of me thinks that he's not trying his best. And, and that's something we have to remember from time to time. Because I can be snarky. This guy sucks. This guy can't hit. Why are they bringing this asshole in? And we can all do that from our luxurious studios in Pasadena, wherever the hell we are. But then you got to remember, everyone who makes it to the major leagues is spectacularly talented, is elite, one of the best in the world. And Giles has been a good pitcher for a few years. And he's starting to feel like the wheels are coming off a little bit. And, you know, can the other... World Series closer from last year, Kenley Jansen, who's off to a terrible start this year. And you know that in their head, they're saying, damn it, why isn't this working? I'm trying so hard, I want this to work. And I saw Ken Giles punch himself in the face coming off there, and yeah, that's it's a little awkward. But I, I'm like, man, I've been there. I get it. It sucks. You know, every time you have someone walking off the field with their head hanging down, part of me just can't help, especially as I'm, I'm older than all the players. I am older than everyone in Major League Baseball right now. And I look at them and go, like, man, I know you're trying. And there are more moments. You know, Ken Giles closed out the division series in uh, last year for Houston. And that was, a, that was a glorious moment. He was part of the celebration when they won. You know, they, he didn't get the honors of clinching the World Series, nor the ALCS. I went to Lance McCullers and to Charlie Morton. But there's a sense of he's had the good moments, and now he's just trying to do his job. And his sense of he probably felt like he let down the Astros. Probably let down Justin Verlander, who was throwing a masterpiece. We've all been there. We've all wanted to punch ourselves in the face. I want to punch myself in the face more than you would know. So I saw that, and I wasn't having the best day of my life anyway. And I saw that clip of Giles, and I thought, I've been there, man. Hang in there. It made me root for the Astros a little harder. Because you may not think he's pitching well. You may not think he's being the elite player you hope he is, but... You can't accuse him of not wanting it, of not trying. As I'm recording this, the Red Sox are playing a day game against the uh, Kansas City Royals, and they're already losing. But I can't really complain. The really the reason I can't really complain is even with the stupid extra inning loss yesterday, and the and the Red Sox, uh, uh, you know, losing and the Yankees winning, the Red Sox are still. Tied for the best record in baseball. They are the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Boston Red Sox have the best record in baseball. Even though the Red Sox have lost six of their last ten games, they are still tied for the best record in baseball. They still have 21 wins. 21 wins. They won 21 games before May. And when you think about, like, let's take I'm going to just say this number, 96 wins. 
just because it's easier to calculate. There's six months in the season. Full, you know, yeah, there's a smattering of games in March. There'll be a smattering of games in October. But basically, it's six months. April, May, June, July, August, September. And if you win 16 games a month, if you win 16 games a month, that's 96 wins. If you win 96 games, you're in the postseason. Chances are you've won the division. 96 games probably going to win you a division, you know, unless you have a, a, a runaway train team. And so when you consider the Red Sox go into May with 21 wins, that means there is a month or so where they can, yeah, they're not going to make 16 wins, but it'll even out. It'll all even out. And chances are the Red Sox are going to do that. And this is not really a checkpoint in the season. I believe there are really two major checkpoints for teams to evaluate who the hell they are. One of them is around Memorial Day, the end of May. So basically the end of this month, teams got to take a look in the mirror. If you're surprised, if you're, if you're a team that's expected to contend, the Red Sox are expected to contend, and they're contending. The Yankees are expected to contend, and they're contending. The Astros are expected to contend. God, I can't say that. i got to find a different way to say it. People think the Astros are going to contend. Red Sox are going to contend. Yankees are going to contend. All right? And they all are. So you go to that, and, and chances are, at the end of this month, you take a checkpoint. You go like, okay. Then you take a look around and say, what do we need to do? What, what holes do we need to fill? And you saw some teams do that brilliantly last year. But, you know, the, the Yankees filled out some spots on their team, and they, you know, they went forward and won the wild card. The Red Sox had a big hole at third base with Sandoval. That wasn't working. They wound up cutting Sandoval. And instead of making a trade, they went into their own system. They tried Devers. Devers had a great second half of the season, so they didn't have to make the trade. That's what you do in that, this middle part, is the buildup to the, if you get to the end of May, you say, all right, between May and the trade deadline, what do we have to do? The contenders that were expected to contend, that are contending, should probably look to their farm system and say, do we have holes we can fill within? And if we don't, what small moves do we have to fix the club? Now, if you have teams that are surprise contenders, the Pittsburgh Pirates, for example, are a surprise contender. I'll call the San Francisco Giants, even though they're you know, 500 at this point, they're, they went into this season without Madison Bumgarner and a lot of question marks, and they finished April with a winning record. They happened to lose last night, but they're like, hey, they're, they're, they're hanging around. You know, it, you know, what other teams are surprise contender? You know, I mean, the Mariners are off to a good start. The Angels are off to a good start. The Mets, the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies are all surprise contenders at this point. So at that point, you got to say, all right, if they are still contending at the end of May, teams like the Phillies, teams like the Mets, then you got to look around like the Pirates you got to look around and say, oh, wait a minute. Do we just have two good months and we're going to fall back to the pack? Or are we really contenders? Because if we're really contenders, then maybe, just maybe, we should consider shoring up our teams, fixing a couple of holes. 
Now, the real interesting parts are when, and of course, you have a bunch of teams that are that stink that everyone thought were going to stink. The Padres stink, even though they won last night. The Reds stink. Uh, you know, the Marlins. The Marlins are in a four-game winning streak. You know, they're playing sub four hundred ball, but they're not. You know, they're they're teams that are worse than them. Like, oh, I don't know. The Royals who beat the Red Sox yesterday. The Twins are off to a terrible start. They're a playoff team. Um, and the White Sox and the Orioles. Those are teams, if we get to the end of May and those teams are still sucking, well, then they got to take a look around and say, all right, um, let's start selling. And, of course, the Orioles are the most intriguing team because they are truly terrible. They are truly, truly terrible. And they have a remarkable trade chip in uh, Manny Machado. And with Manny Machado as this amazing trade chip, they can't blow this. This is a key part of their rebuilding. And, you know, you have some, you, they're the sort of team that you can come up to and say, hey, uh, surprise contender, I hear you have a hole in your lineup. How would you like to rent Manny Machado and have this premier bat? And it will cost you this, that, or the other thing. You know, the Machado sweepstakes is going to be very, very interesting. Because he is going to leave via free agency. And so the Orioles have to get something better than what they would get in the draft. If they can't get something better than they get in the draft, first of all, you've got to fire your GM. But secondly, then they've totally failed. Because the Orioles have to start the rebuilding. And they have to start doing it now. They should have done this last year, but hindsight is twenty twenty. Which brings us to the single most interesting team in baseball right now. I'll say it. And not interesting for the right reason. The Dodgers. The Dodgers have lost seven of their last ten. The Dodgers are on a four-game losing streak. The Dodgers are only two games ahead of the Padres. I know it's early, but this isn't like, oh, we started the season with two losses to the Giants. Ah, the ship will be righted. Hold on. This team has been decimated with injuries. This team is already having that little bit of snippiness with Dave Roberts benching Bellinger for not hustling. Bellinger saying afterwards, well, you know, I wasn't going to get thrown out third, and I'm not going to say the manager's wrong, but the manager, you know, it was one of those classic, I'm not going to say he's wrong, even though I didn't do anything wrong. That's sort of bullshit. And Kenley Jansen looks bad. He looks really bad. And lest we forget, Kenley Jansen... Blew a key save in the World Series, Game 2, and he lost Game, was it Game 5, the, the big wild extra inning game. Kenley Jansen's been bad since the postseason. And when you have a bullpen closer fall off a cliff, you can be Brad Lidge in a hurry. Brad Lidge had a couple of brilliant seasons. He did. Look him up. And then when things went bad for Lidge, he went from, oh, my God, it's lights out Lidge, to, oh, my God, should we designate him for assignment? 
The shelf life of the effective closer is startlingly small. And Jansen's been an effective pitcher for a few years. And their lineup without Puig, without Turner, without Seeger is it's not that good. It really isn't. And with you know injuries to the starting staff, this Dodger team, which had this beautiful window of opportunity and got to Game 7 of the World Series, sometimes the windows can slam shut. Ask the Philadelphia Phillies, who kept winning division after division, were stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked, 100-win teams, suddenly, oh, wait, we're out of contention. The Dodgers are in a scary place right now. For a couple of reasons. First of all, the Diamondbacks have had injuries. And the Diamondbacks lost J.D. Martinez to my beloved Red Sox. And the Diamondbacks now have, along with the Red Sox, the best record in baseball. If the Red Sox, you know, they're losing. Jesus Christ, they're losing to the Royals. What a nightmare. They're on the verge of being up 2-0. And now they're on the verge of losing the series to a team that hasn't even won 10 games yet. Can't complain, the Red Sox are off to a great start, but if the Red Sox don't win today and the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers again, these head-to-head games have been disastrous for the Dodgers. And today they've got godly pitching for the Dodgers. Ryu, who's off to a good start pitching for L.A., or godly pitching for the Diamondbacks, sorry. The Dodgers could fall to 10 games out. If they lose today, the Dodgers will be 10 games out of first. It's early, but do you really think that this Dodgers team will play 11 games better than the Diamondbacks for the rest of the year? Of course they can, but that means they have to be at at full strength. You know, the Dodgers' window of opportunity began in 2013 when they won the division and they went all the way to the NLCS. And they had the amazing one-two punch of... Kershaw and Grinky. They got to the, they won the division in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017, they won the pennant. That's a five year window. For most teams, that's the window. Now, look it, of course they can right the ship. There are rumors they may go after Manny Machado because they need to have a big bat in their lineup now. But Andrew Friedman's not one to want to make big moves like that that will F up the, the, the salary structure. And Baseball Tonight podcast made a great point yesterday, which was this could be Kershaw's walk here. Now, he's won his Cy Youngs and everything like that, and he's played you know 11-some-odd years with the Dodgers. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, and you just assume he's going to be a Dodger for the rest of his career. But players change, and sometimes that change happens when it's like, hey, a change of scenery would be nice now. Let's try something new. Now, of course, if Clayton Kershaw had won the World Series... If he had pitched decently in Game 5, they probably would have won the World Series. But if they had won the World Series under Clayton Kershaw's watch, you know, the Dodgers might say, 
We're not going to sign him to a long-term deal because he's a pitcher in his 30s. Signing pitchers to long-term deals in their 30s is not historically a very smart thing to do. There have been some exceptions to the rule, but not always. And Friedman doesn't strike me as the kind of a guy who would do that. So this could be because he has the opt-out. And if he goes to free agency, he will get suitors. This could be the end of Clayton Kershaw in Los Angeles. It almost certainly is. And there are sometimes you have players who have even won world championships and look like they were going to be part of a team forever. Who, when they go out to the free agent market, say, oh, geez, I can't turn this down. See Mr. Pujols in Anaheim, if you don't understand what I'm talking about. And there are plenty of franchises out there who are desperate enough saying, geez, we can bring Clayton Kershaw onto our team. And when you take a look at what's happened with Justin Verlander, who has arrived in Houston and has been damn near perfect and helped pitch them to a world championship last year, there may be a sense of, hey, maybe there are these a few guys out there who would be worth that sort of investment in their 30s. Now, the, the list may not be long. It may be Verlander and Kershaw. But I'm going to bring something up here. I am going to be sacrilegious. You know how I was talking about at the end of May... You got to take stock of the team. Let me ask you a question. What if, and this is not an outlandish proposal from your pal Sully, what if the Dodgers lose today? It's just one game. They fall 10 games back. What if after a 12 and 16 April, they have a disappointing May as well? They keep stubbing their toe. They keep losing those close games. They keep losing They keep losing series. And they can't get out of their own way. And they look up and they see the Diamondbacks. They look up and they see, you know, I mean, the Nationals are off to a clunky start. But do you know what? I get the sense that they will turn it around. I have more confidence in the Nationals to turn it around because, well, the, the Mets played them very well. They were kind of clunks against a couple of teams. They're on a three-game winning streak right now. The Phillies are starting to fall a little bit back to earth. After all the, the stubbing their toe and being swept by the Mets and everything like that, they're only six games back of the Mets in the loss column. And quite frankly, I think they can make up for that. I don't have the same confidence in the Dodgers because of the injuries, because of the people who are out, because of the fact that they just don't look like they're a cohesive team. And I believe the Diamondbacks and also the Rockies in that division a hell of a lot more than I believe the Mets, Phillies, and Braves. That's not an insult to the Mets, Phillies, and Braves. They're all playing ahead of schedule. Especially the Phillies and the Braves. But the Diamondbacks are probably like, oh man, this is a team that could be a pennant winner. I'm going to say this piece of blasphemy. Let's say we get to that checkpoint in, oh, the Memorial Day. And the Dodgers are still losing. Had another losing month. 
and are falling way behind. And the Dodgers are going to go between May or the beginning of June and the end of July to say, what are we? Are we the defending National League champions? Or are we a team that's starting to fall apart? And are we facing the specter of Clayton Kershaw leaving? He's going to go. He's going to opt out. That's his right. And some team will offer him more than the Dodgers are willing to pay, which is their right. And he will sign with them, which is his right. I believe that will happen. Especially if the Dodgers are not contending this year. Verlander looked like a tiger for life. And he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. There will be an old-fashioned D on his plaque. His number will be retired at Comerica Park. But he got a chance to be part of a champion, be part of a winner. And he did. He got his World Series ring. And he's going to probably go to the postseason again with the Astros. And it will be kind of like when Paul Molitor was part of the Blue Jays. That he was always remembered as a brewer, but he won his ring as a member of Toronto. That's how this will be. Kershaw is going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame with an L and an A on his cap. He's going to the Hall of Fame with an L and an A on his cap and his number retired. That being said, I do not believe he will be a Dodger next year. What if the Dodgers go into that middle third of the season treading water, looking like, man, we may not do it. Our five years of winning the division may be in jeopardy, and we may be losing our marquee player. Hear me out for a second. Should the Dodgers trade Clayton Kershaw? Should they whisper it, make it known, as a bunch of franchises are clumped together, knowing that he's probably going to opt out anyway, what would it mean? What if Cleveland said, Jesus, we could have Kluber and Kershaw 1-2 in our rotation? The Yankees could say, wait a minute, we could have add Kershaw to this run here? The Mets? The, the Cubs? The Milwaukee Brewers saying, hey, who, who have pushed their chips to the center of the table for Sabathia and for Grinky in the past for successful trips to the postseason, where at least they got to the postseason, and the Brewers could be like, if we rent Clayton Kershaw, we could win the division and possibly win the World Series. There's no way in hell he's going to be on the team next year. But what if we did that? And let me say this. Dodgers, if you remove all of the sacrilege emotion behind it and just say, yeah, he's going to go and we're not contending. So why don't we get something for him? Why don't we get a couple of things for him? We'll never get the equivalent of Clayton Kershaw, but if he walks, then you're not going to top what you're going to get in the trade market. It's the same thing with Manny Machado. Remove the emotion behind it, and you say, are we going to do better than letting them walk and getting a couple of draft picks? If you look yourself in the mirror and say, are we going to sign him for whatever the hell it's going to cost? If the answer is no, 
Then you take a look. Are we contending? If the answer to that question is no, then you say, then what the hell are we doing? If he's going to leave, why don't we try to get something more for him? And if you let it known, the cur- and, and, and you, you talk with him and say, Clayton, are you going to sign? Because if not, we're going to get you to a contender. And sometimes you may get something. You may get something. Eventually, what, you know, the Red Sox had this with Lester. Lifelong Red Sox. Not, not nearly as good as Kershaw. And they wound up flipping him for Cespedes and then flipped Cespedes for Porcello. Porcello won a Cy Young Award, helped them win a division in 2016. Porcello's off to a great start now. That's what we got when we realized we're not going to get Lester signed to a long-term deal. And if the Dodgers can look up and say, well, we got something for Kershaw. Maybe a major league ready player. Maybe a couple of players who will be able to help in the long term. Is that better than getting virtually nothing? Or the risk of maybe the draft pick? I don't know. I don't know the answer. But what I do know is the Dodgers, if they aren't contending in a few weeks, they have to bring this up. It has to be put on the table. And imagine going into this middle third of the season, if you're a contender on the teetering, and saying, is it worth renting for two or three months a Machado or Kershaw? Is that the difference between winning or not winning? If the Astros didn't trade for Justin Verlander last year, then there's still no world championship in Houston. The Astros are just another franchise. And... Houston fans are like, well, we're not the kind of team that ever wins a World Series. And now they're the defending world champs, thinking about two, thinking about back-to-backs. And that doesn't happen if they don't make the deal for Verlander. The weight that can be taken off the franchise by bringing in that caliber of player. Now, let me tell you something right here and now. Here is my prediction. I don't know if the Dodgers would do it. It would take a tremendous amount of guts to say, we're going to try to trade Clayton Kershaw. I am not stupid enough. I'm, I'm pretty stupid. But I'm not stupid enough to think that, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. We're not going to give it a second thought. Of course you're going to give it a second thought. It's a horrifying thought. He's a franchise. He's the face of the franchise, of one of the elite franchises, who just last year was in Game 7 of the World Series. And to say, we're going to throw that away because we're having a bad few months? But then you look at the reality. What if they're not good this year? What if he goes? Then what do you have? And I think I know where he's going to go. And hear me out. I've laid down the clue earlier in this podcast of where I think he's going to go. Oh, you might say the Yankees. You might say the Red Sox. You might say the Rangers. You might say I'm crazy. But I believe if Kershaw has a home in L.A., he won't have to sell it. I believe that the Angels are going 
to offer him all the money in the world. They have made moves and they do have contracts and this, that, and the other thing. But they also know that if they can steal the Dodgers, they steal L.A. away from the Dodgers. They have the best player on the planet. They have money. They have this, that, and the other thing. If they can swipe Clayton Kershaw, and this is a franchise that loves to do this, to swipe players that you associate with other teams. I mean, look what they did with Pujols. If you have a team that has Trout and Kershaw and say, we're going to try to win it here, try to win it here in Anaheim, despite what the name says, that's where I predict he's going. I predict Clayton Kershaw will be an angel in 2019. And if that's, and that's where I think he's going, whether the Dodgers trade him or not. Now, he could be in a situation kind of like what happened with Randy Johnson when Randy Johnson was traded to the Astros and he walked and left for the Diamondbacks. And there's that weird, remember Randy Johnson was with the Astros? Yeah, that was weird. It was like one year, yeah. I think Kershaw could have one of those. Remember he was a brewer? Remember, that's right. Clayton Kershaw pitched on the Brewers. That was weird. Yeah, that was kind of strange. That was a little bit like when Wayne Gretzky was with the St. Louis Blues or Shaq was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Sometimes it's just a little weird. Shaq was on the Celtics. Nothing was weirder than seeing Shaq as a Celtic, I will tell you. With that being said, Dodgers have to take a good long look in the mirror. Not yet. It's not the checkpoint yet. But it's coming. It's not April. And once the calendar page turns to June and you're still not contending, you've got some soul searching to do and ask the big question. Are we better off getting something for him? And do you know what? It'll be a hard question, but that's why you paid the big bucks, L.A. front office. And hey, Ken Giles, I'm here for you, man. You're a good pitcher. You just had a bad day. Sometimes we all do. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school. Send me an email at Sully, uh, info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Throwing some hard questions the L.A. Dodgers way. This has been Sully Baseball for the second day of May 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.